Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. It is Thursday, February 21st. Scott, do you know what today is? It is the start of spring training. As yeah. in team versus team. Scores being kept. Batters, pitchers, all of that good stuff. Oh, yeah. Start of spring trade. That is awesome. Only two teams going today, and they are Oakland and Seattle. This is very significant. We will tell you why in a moment. On today's show, this is our little hiatus from the position previews. We did second base yesterday. We'll have a shortstop on Friday, and then hopefully we'll get through all of the hitting positions next week. Oh, we definitely will next week, and then maybe even start on starting pitcher. Uh, our email address is fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We'll be reading some of your emails later. Scott wrote an article about Adalberto Mondesi that he referenced in yesterday's show. I want to talk a little bit about it today, and of course we'll get into it tomorrow on the shortstop preview. Uh, we do have some no- news items to get to, but we did a 15-team roto draft, and I want to talk about it. I want to talk about deep league drafting and stuff like that. Also some players with a lot on the line in spring training. But yeah, it is spring training. And why is it significant that Oakland and Seattle are playing? Because they're screwing up fantasy baseball for everyone, Scott, by beginning their season one week before everybody else with two two games in Tokyo, March 20th and the 21st, Seattle and Oakland. What do we do about this as fantasy owners? Well, you know, I'm I'm kind of... uh kind of a stickler for counting every game. I include the last week of the season and I w- I've always in the past, I mean, this is, this is hardly new. It's been a couple years since this has happened, but uh, a season opening series overseas that begins well ahead of everything else. I've always included it in my fantasy leagues. I think it's easier to justify in roto leagues than head to head. I think if you do include it in head to head, you have to be willing as the commissioner to uh, manually make lineup adjustments for owners upon request in between that series and when everybody else plays March 28th. So that obviously, you know, any number of injuries could happen during that time. You don't want owners to be locked out. So you kind of have to, if if you are going to include it, you have to be more hands-on. It's more work. It may not be worth it to you, but it's worth it to me in the leagues I commission. Uh, I think the default setting it for head to head will definitely have it off. It's it's a it's a box you can check in the league league uh, schedule section of the commissioner tools, whether you count those games or not. Uh, I, I think the default setting is off in head to head leagues. I, I would guess it's probably on in roto, though I haven't had a chance to look at one. I could do that. I mean, it's such a no brainer to include those games if you're doing a roto league. But mm-hmm. I worry about the teams that are doing roto drafts and drafting after March 20th, which will be a lot of leagues. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. I would guess, you know, that final weekend before opening day is the biggest draft weekend. Everybody yeah. you know, waiting till the last minute and possibly for good reason. You know, obviously you have the, the newest news. Uh, and I would guess, I would guess the majority of drafts uh, I, I would guess that's still probably the biggest draft week in Mar- March. What is it? March 23rd and 24th. 
so after that series, and obviously that takes care of it for you, but it, it's another point to bring up. If you do want to make sure you include every game in your league schedule, you've got to make sure you draft before then. I did a draft last year, and it was after opening day. It was one or two days after opening day, and it was basically determined that you would get the stats of anybody you drafted. And there was really only one player that became very interesting with that rule, and that was Matt Davidson because he had three home runs on opening day. And I was going to draft him and then probably drop him, you know, but somebody beat me to it. Uh, but I would have gotten his stats because it was a season-long Roto League. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to do in that situation. I mean, if you draft somebody, do you, do you keep the stats from those two games? Like retrospect? Like- yeah. Yeah, like you're, you're drafting on the 24th, and there, those games happened on the 20th and the 21st, and you get all of, uh, you know, all of D. Gordon's steals. I mean, I, all eight of I them. don't think I would do it that way. Uh, obviously, that's a workaround if you don't want to have to draft, but you want to include every game. You don't want to have to draft that early. You just the, the most important thing is making sure everybody's aware of it going in. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. you, you really got to... Not even just one. You you don't want to hide it in one post like a week before. You want to make it clear as soon as possible and keep reminding people. Make sure everybody knows, so nobody complains of unfairness later. Uh, I've had a chance to look at the default settings for a Roto League this year, and it looks like the default setting in Roto is also not to include the Japan series. The way that works, the way you can change that is a little different since obviously there's not a schedule in a roto league you um you have to go to scoring periods like on your league details page click the c in the upper right and season starts it'll be a drop down you could choose either wednesday march 20th or thursday march 28th gotcha all right thank you scott now everybody knows what to do or do they why mondesi <laughs> is a must have this is a must read story i got to say it was a pretty convincing case for Adalberto Mondesi, who you can probably get in the fourth round. And a guy, his numbers were just absolutely off the charts. In 75 games, he batted 276 with 14 home runs and 32 steals. If he had played 155 games, this actually surprised me a little bit. Uh, if you gave him double his games, his fantasy points, it's 150 games. I like to give guys 155 games. Well, they've been only the number seven shortstop in points leagues, but probably would have been, you know, more like four-ish in Roto because uh, his plate discipline is so bad it's going to knock Mondesi down in points leagues. This is probably mostly a categories slash Roto argument. Mm-hmm. Scott yeah. really wants Alberto Mondesi, and I think you talked about it yesterday, and I know we're going to talk about it tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to getting Heath and Chris. Actually, I think it'll just be Heath tomorrow, and I don't think he's going to be quite as high on Mondesi as you. No. But, but why is Mondesi basically like the most important player in Roto for you? It's just this one-of-a-kind skill set that he brings to the table. If you want to just double the stats from last year, it comes out to 28 homers, 60 steals, which would, in a, in a Roto context, would probably translate to uh, early first-round numbers. I mean, Trey Turner uh, was 50% short of that home run and steals total last year with a similar batting average, and nobody's questioning whether he's a first-rounder in in a standard Roto League, standard 5 by 5 League, which includes head-to-head categories as well. Uh, so 
the, that's the key to remember. Like, if you're not paying for him to sustain last year's pace with a fourth round pick, if you were, you'd be investing a first round pick in him. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. And yeah, he did. He did overachieve a little with batting average last year. It was like a 335 BABIP, which is high. It's not crazy high for somebody with great foot speed who has normal line drive and fly ball rates. Uh, so let's The argument I'm making is let's say he regresses to a 250 batting average, which I think is a pretty conservative estimate. Um, let's say the, uh, you know, extending those numbers over a full season translates to more like 20 homers and 50 steals. I mean, you're still talking about an elite contributor, and you're still talking about that one-of-a-kind quality I mentioned earlier of being able to carry you in the scarcest category, stolen bases, without losing any ground in the category that's uh, most important to continue feeding, home runs, because home runs are so plentiful. If you, inv- if you devote a lineup spot to a hitter who doesn't provide any, like if you wanted to fill your steals with D. Gordon or Billy Hamilton or whatever— it it forces you to, uh, you you have to be really aggressive about pursuing home runs to make up for it. Well, if your steals are coming from somebody who hits for power too, like Mondesi seems capable of, it's not such a big concern. So the fact that that kind of player is so rare in today's environment, uh, you know, pretty much the big base dealers who are going to contribute something else all go in the first round. And they don't even provide the steals total that Mondesi looks like he's capable of providing. It's it, it's it's to me the easiest way to um, to solve the steals problem and not have to worry about it the rest of the draft. And it, you know, it it just seems like it just seems like good value, even factoring in the risk round four. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's a lot that can go wrong, really, at that at taking him at that point. I will say a couple things on that. If you are planning on taking Mondesi in round four or late round three or something, I think that you have to have a pitcher in one of your first four picks because rounds three and four to me is a, is a really good pitcher round. I typically like to start my team with two hitters and then maybe three but I'm not waiting any longer than round four to take my first pitcher. And then I've, I've been finding myself taking Trevor Bauer and, uh, well, Trevor Bauer or Luis Severino as my ace, my hopeful ace. And they're typically round three or four around Mondesi time. So, you know, you could go with those two picks, Bauer, Mondesi, or something like that. After starting with two hitters, that would be a perfectly normal start. Of course, you could draft Chris Sale in the second round or something, and then you don't have to worry about that. Um, but this is, just to, just to stress it, like this is what I'm aiming to do in all of those five by five leagues. Any any league where the steel scarcity is an important part of your planning. Like I I have passed over Manny Machado in late first, early second, many times just because I don't want to have shortstop filled. I want to make sure I can devote that spot to Mondesi when my fourth round pick comes up, possibly even late third. If if you know, depending on where I'm picking in the draft order, if I'm not confident I could get him in round four, it's that important to me. Uh, you know, we project him for the highest steals total of any player this year. I think we're projecting him for 54. And uh, there's there's not going to be a lot of players out there who you can 
reasonably expect to give you even 30. I, I so think the question, though, is, is he a good hitter? And I'm going yeah. to end the debate today. I'm going to save it for tomorrow for the shortstop preview. But because I'm, we have gotten burned by speed guys who can't hit. Billy Hamilton's a perfect example of it. Byron Buxton, a huge bust. I mean, we're actually going to talk about him a little bit later today. Um, you know, sometimes these all-speed guys, they're, they're really bad. And then they get moved to the bottom of the order. Montesi, I think, has a great chance to bat first or second at the start of the season. There's a lot to like. I'm going to let you guys discuss it tomorrow. Um, we'll save the rest of the Montesi discussion. The other thing I was going to say is um, I don't necessarily agree that if you draft D. Gordon, you really have to re- overcompensate with power uh, because because Gordon is going pretty late. So I think it's late as it was 96th overall, so around there. So late what you, as what in, you have, like most players you draft this year, are going to give you twenty homers or so. Like even the late rounders, guys you draft late to fill lineup spots are probably good for about twenty homers. The vast majority of them. So you got somebody giving you five. You could probably do it once. You can't do it too many times with your lineup. It I really agree. limits your options. I agree with that. Yeah, you can't you ha- you can't do it too many times. Uh, but I think you can do it once. And I think the more lineup spots you have, the easier it is to justify a player like that. Um, whereas I'd be probably less likely to take D. Gordon in a shallow league with three outfielders, one second base, no middle infield. But a five outfielder league with a middle infield, corner infield, utility. Yeah, D. Gordon. Mm-hmm. D. Gordon is going to. I think stand out in steals and um, won't really kill you in power because you have so many lineup spots to make up for it. And if I read a boy, I don't know if you read it, Scott um, guy, we used to work with uh, Scott Miller. Now a bleacher report wrote a feature on D Gordon that all, I I was actually almost crying last night. It was about his mother who was murdered um, when he was seven. And uh, I recommend reading it. It's, it's really, it's, kind of trying to shed some more light on the domestic violence issues that we have. And it's uh, a tough read because it's such a sensitive subject, but it was a w- very well-written piece, and Gordon's interviewed in it. It says a lot of, uh, I don't know, touching stuff. So give it a read if you can. Um, Got to promote a couple things. Uh, you know, there, there are many ways to listen to this podcast. One of the ways is Stitcher. Stitcher is uh, a great app for podcasting so give it a listen they help promote our shows and we're very popular on stitcher uh, fantasy football today and fantasy baseball today among the most popular sports podcasts on stitcher which is awesome and commissioner leagues everybody sign up for the commissioner leagues uh on cbssports.com it really is the best i'll give it to you the, the url in just a moment but you've got great dynasty stuff great dynasty features you can add players to the database um, so I know for all you like hardcore fantasy baseball players who want to get started in a dynasty league, we've got advanced stats for you. It's a customizable league. It's, it's just so worth it. So go to cbsports.com slash FBT and get your league started. cbsports.com slash FBT. Not just for dynasty leagues, by the way, seasonal leagues as well. Great stuff. Um, and you can play basically any type of format you want with any type of scoring system. All right, the news and notes. So we, we only briefly touched on this. Carlos Martinez has the shoulder injury being shut down for two weeks. Scott's very concerned um, that maybe they'll throw him in the bullpen at least to start the year. I took him as my number two starting pitcher in this 15-team roto draft before I saw the news, and then I was told of the news, and I was very disappointed uh, in that draft pick. But, yeah, I'm not sure I'm looking at Carlos Martinez until... 
off the top of my head, like I don't even think he's a top 10 round pick. So I'm thinking pick 120 or later for Carlos Martinez. He'd have to be, he might have to be my fourth starting pitcher before I feel comfortable taking him. Am I overreacting? No. No, I mean, I, w- I was the most pessimistic about Carlos Martinez from the start because I, I, I wasn't confident in his durability or, or really in his role. There was a lot of buzz this offseason from Cardinals beat writers about, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he's not for sure going back to the starting rotation. And then once pitchers and catchers reported, there was uh, Mike Maddox and uh, the pitching coach there and the manager they were they were both like yeah he did a really great job in the bullpen right like kind of talking him up for that role and now there's this where he's not ready to be on a normal pitching schedule yet not ready for a normal build up i think if they were looking for an excuse to keep him in the bullpen this provides them with the perfect one and you know i I don't think closer is where he winds up if he goes to the bullpen. So I think it, you know, his, that would obviously destroy his fantasy value if he's not a starting pitcher. That's my biggest concern here. If if they're committed to him starting, it delays the timeline. I suppose it's possible there's a short DL stint at the beginning of the season, but in the long run, I think he'll be who you draft him to be. I just have serious doubts, serious doubts about that role. Uh, it, it's it's not even you know it's not just Alex Reyes who doesn't have a spot now it's um, Austin Gomer and uh, they have they have a few different arms they have a few different arms they can slot into the rotation instead if they wanted to go that route. Yeah, Martinez. You know, you're maybe you're thinking, well, maybe I could use him. You know, like I've used uh, Dallin Batansis or Josh Hader in the past. I don't think you're, I don't think the whip is going to be good enough. I mean, in the bullpen last year, he had a 147 ERA. But he gave up 11 hits and 11 walks in 18 and a third uh, with 19 strikeouts. He had a, he had big control problems last year. So may, maybe the whip would be good enough. You could see him that way. But we don't want Carlos Martinez to be a super relief pitcher. We want him to be a starter or a closer. And, and Scott thinks there's a chance he's neither. Buster Posey progressing well. He won't catch until March, though. Uh, but he's making progress. Jet Lowry has a knee issue. The Mets are pretty concerned about it. And he's surprisingly high in Scott's for second base rankings, I think Jed Lowry's like top 15 or something, right? Because second base stinks so bad. Am I'm not I sure off the top of my head. I can confirm that. Let's see. It's a race to confirm that. <laughs> click the wrong button. Now I click second base. Now we're going to scroll down. I have Jed... him 16th Damn it! In, in head-to-head. I was there. I scrolled past him. I went too far down, or I would have beaten you. Yeah, yeah, 16th is not that. And Heath has him 14th. So, Jed Lowry, we just did our second base preview. Would you like to update your feelings on Jed Lowry, or is it too early? Yeah, that's not really going to change too much for me. Cesar Hernandez, who I have right behind him, is about in the same category, I guess. But uh, but after that, you we just did our second base preview yesterday. After that, you get into the interesting options with major playing time concerns like Brandon Lau and Jeff McNeil, etc. And then Josh Harrison signed by the Tigers to a one-year $10.5 million deal. So where's Josh Harrison going to end up in your rankings? Low. He's The Tigers might be one of just two or three teams where he would have signed to be a starter. It, okay, hold on. I'm going to ask a stupid question. Does it affect Nico Goodrum? Oh, I would assume so. 
Oh, it's a smart question then. So but, good, so Goodrum is a bench player. Well, roster resource has Goodrum in left field. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously there's Christian Stewart there, who I suspect will get more playing time than than Goodrum. But Goodrum is somebody who can play multiple positions and might wind up in a Marwin Gonzalez role. I don't think he's very good either. I don't think we're talking mixed league material. Nico Padrum. Am I right? Okay. Sure. And no, I think we I think we have a Nico Goodrum question in our notes today, and some people are like sort no. of intrigued by him. Nico Goodrum was in my all foodie team that I tweeted out a couple weeks ago. He was the starting second baseman for that. Oh. So it's a shame. I have to find another second baseman. That was the hardest spot to fill on the all foodie team. Scott Rhodes just had a just an eye opening, shocking, horrifying tweet about movies yesterday that that we'll also get to. Um, and second base sleeper at the very end of the show, I mentioned this guy, Eduardo Nunez. Alex Cora said Eduardo Nunez is more explosive and has two knees now. Basically played through a knee injury in 2018. He had a terrible year. 2017 with Boston, he played over his head. But he batted 321 with eight homers and six steals and 12 doubles in 38 games and 892 OPS. And he is a bench player to start the year. Dustin Pedroia will get hurt. It is a guarantee. We can talk about Eduardo Nunez when that happens. Uh, other random topics to talk about. Yes, yeah, Scott has not seen any of the like great movies that have ever been made. He's basically oh, skipped all on. of them. That's ridiculous. He, he tweeted yesterday. <laughs> I, I movies, gave you like half a dozen movies that he's like that. I don't know that like it's somewhat surprising that he hasn't seen. It was one of those. It was one of those hashtags making the rounds on Twitter that seemed like it was. Uh, you know, an interesting exercise to participate in. Of course, after I do it, people just crap all over my list without submitting their own. I think uh, those in glass houses shouldn't throw stones <laughs> because I'm sure if we dug through their viewography, uh, we would find some pretty high-profile movies they haven't seen either. But go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Are you asking me to uh, get out of no, my glass we'll, house? We'll get into that in just a minute. Okay, so Scott said the movies that he hadn't seen. Why am I not finding this? I got it here. You want me to read it? Oh, yeah. The, the, right. the first two on the list are literally so, my two favorite movies of all time. <laughs> this is the, the hashtag is admit movies you've never seen. <laughs> so um, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that's number two on my all-time favorite list. Braveheart. Number one. Indiana Jones, the second and third. I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, number three is the best one. Uh, that's not what everybody says. Yeah. I think I think the majority say Raiders of the Lost Ark. But yeah, I, I, have I get heard that. Others say number uh, the great. Last Crusade is the best. Yeah, number three is great. Uh, I I have not watched Lord of the Rings either. Okay, yeah, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've 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 sat when it was playing on a TV in the room I was in. hundred percent. Yep, me too. But I just wasn't in the mood or uh, I just wasn't able to attend to it. All right, listen, so everybody, before Scott goes any, any further here, saving private Ryan and Braveheart are, are bad misses, but they're like three hour movies. They're really long. They're not on TV. I guess like all that often it's somewhat understandable. What Scott is about to say next though, the next group of movies that he's never seen. It's like, please don't start listening to another podcast out of complete disrespect for, and hatred for Scott white because of what he's about to say. Go ahead, Scott. All right, so the entire Rocky series, um, I think I have seen the first one. Obviously, it didn't make a huge impression on me. 
Best only one best picture, one of the greatest movies of yeah. all time. Predator. Yeah, one of the greatest badass movies of all time. Total Recall, which you know, some people have told me it doesn't deserve to be listed with these others. Yeah, but I, it I don't gets love referenced it. a lot. It I, gets I referenced a lot. I, I got to see that one again because I, I didn't love it the first time I saw it. I was in high school when I saw Total Recall. Uh, any Tarantino movie other than Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill. I think I've actually seen both of the Kill Bills. Didn't do much for me, but whatever. Uh, and I've seen Pulp Fiction, but none of the others. And Scarface was on this list. Yeah, it's an overrated movie. Uh, something I saw somebody else contribute later that I probably should have included. I have not seen a single James Bond movie. I hadn't seen any until the Daniel Craig ones. and then uh... Which I've heard are good. Yeah, the one, the poker one. Which one is that? Casino Royale. Casino Royale, yeah. Is yeah. freaking awesome. That movie is terrific, yeah. And then uh, the one after that was really good, too. I can't remember their names, but the Daniel Craig ones are good. Saving, dude, Braveheart is my favorite movie. Saving Private Ryan is probably the best movie I've ever seen. I hope you <laughs> find time to watch them. And the Rockies are f- phenomenal. Like, no, I should point Rockies out. I should point the out. These are not like. I am opposed to seeing these movies. It just hasn't happened. And I imagine most people have a list like this. Maybe not these insane movies, but you, Adam, were one of the people giving me yeah. crap on Twitter for this. And I, I, I have it on good authority that you yourself have never seen a single Star Wars movie. No, which that's is not probably... true. That's not true. Uh, okay. I knew you were going there. That's not true. I watched. So here's my Star Wars history. I, when I was a kid, I watched the uh, the uh, episode four. Um, what the hell is it called? The original Star Wars? A New Hope. Uh, right? A New Hope is what it was yeah. named after the fact. Yeah. Um, I hate. It. I didn't like it at all. I thought it was extremely boring. And then I I saw the other ones, but I don't have any recollection. So I think for the purposes of this argument, I will say that I've never seen The Empire Strikes Back or any. The only one I've seen is A New Hope, which I watched like two years ago and i was like damn this is really good i think i was a little harsh on all the star wars people (laughs) (laughs) so i i would like to watch empire strikes back as soon as possible so this is a great discussion but let's talk a little more baseball baseball is cracking down on sign stealing that's good baseball is going to have a pitch clock in spring training and maybe in uh, in the regular season that's pretty big and we haven't really talked about that a 20 second pitch clock with nobody on base you think it's going to have a big fantasy impact uh i'd have to i i don't i don't know i don't know we've talked about this some in the past when there are rumblings about it happening and there was there's some theories out there that it could impact pitcher velocity if you look at um I remember looking at a leaderboard. I'm not even sure how I'd find that leaderboard now, but most sec- most time in between pitches, and Aroldis Chapman, the hardest thrower of anybody, was number one. So it, it it's hard to say. Now, I, I think they have been using a pitch clock in the minor leagues for now. They this have. is not something I... Honestly, this is first I've heard about this happening in spring training, so I'm not totally prepared to talk about this. But they, I think they've had one in the minors for a while now, and I don't remember seeing reports of, you know, it, it crushing pitchers' velocity or anything like that. So it's probably much ado about nothing. 
Rob Bamford's uh, calling Scott right now to talk about it. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, don't, don't, no, this is, you need to back me up on this, man. <laughs> All right, we'll see what kind of impact it has. I know David Price takes an eternity in between pitches, and that's a guy that I've been somewhat excited to draft, actually. And uh, maybe a pitch clock would affect that. I don't know. Uh, don't forget that the later these guys sign, you know, these free agents, the worse it is. Uh, the, the late signees last year, some of them were just terrible. Um, I think Mustakas was the only one who wasn't completely terrible. Well, J.D. Martinez. How late was he, though? When did he sign? He was about now. Okay, yeah, no, I'm talking about, like, into spring training. Remember, the, the, they were, well, uh, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, to be 100% honest with you. Like, Neil Walker was... was <laughs> well, Greg Holland signed on opening day. And Greg Holland was, was awful. Disaster. Neil Walker was awful. Um, uh-huh. Lorenzo Cain was late, but not that late. Uh, I think he was late January. So just keep it in mind. It's not good. We want them signed already. And then I wanted to see if World Series hangovers were a real thing for pitching staff, Scott. So I went through the last five World Series participants, really the last four, because can't no data on Boston LA uh, this year. And I looked at pitchers, starting pitchers who threw 180 or more regular season innings and then had some postseason work and what happened to them the following year. Uh, so there were 18 starting pitchers in the last four years, not including last season, that had 180 or more regular season innings plus postseason work. And here were the pitchers who had a better ERA the next year. Madison Bumgarner, Bartolo Colon, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, and Justin Verlander. That is five out of 18. 13 had worse ERAs. 10 had an ERA a half a run higher or or more. Um, the good news is three of the last seven starting pitchers in this criteria improved the following season. Uh, really, the only ones that really improved were Kluber and Verlander. Uh, and then the other good news is that there is only one pitcher, I think, from last year that actually met this criteria. I did this whole exercise, and then I said, wait a second. Did the Red Sox or the Dodgers actually have anyone that threw it 180? in the regular season and more in the postseason. And the only guy was Rick Porcello. So it was probably a big waste of time. Um, and that that's why I didn't dedicate more time to it in the show. I do believe that pitching deep into the season, deep into the World Series, can have an effect the following year. I don't know that anyone on either team is really going to be affected by it. If Rick Porcello has a worse ERA than he had last year, he's going to be terrible. I think he'll probably have a better ERA because I think he's a better pitcher. Um, uh, I Did you bring up Bueller? Walker Bueller. No, that's a good one. And he I am super concerned about his innings. At his cost, which is which is pretty extravagant, like top four rounds we're talking. Yeah, I'm pretty high on Bueller in general, but if there is one thing that would hold me back, it's that because he didn't even get to a hundred innings in twenty seventeen, coming back from injury. Uh and then last year between the majors, minors, and postseason, I think he was about one seventy. Uh, so that's that's concerning. That's that's uh, that's a big increase. All right, Scott. Let's talk about our 15-team roto mock. How to draft in deep leagues, and let's also talk about some players with something to prove in spring training. And emails at fantasybaseball@cbsi.com. It's all coming up right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. 
The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. So 15T mock, uh, it was long. It took about two hours, but Scott did a nice thing. He gave us only one minute on the clock, so hastened the draft a little bit. That was good. What do you think? Yeah, I'm down with the one-minute clock. I used to be a holdout. I really like to uh, debate my picks, but I'm down with the one-minute clock now. Even Keep in real moving. drafts? Well, in mock drafts, fine, but in real drafts? No. Two, I'd, two, be, I'd be down for it. Eh, minute you know, and a half, 90 seconds. A lot of times your first instinct is the right one anyway, so... <laughs> Leave the debates out of it. Just what happens what you want to do? Make the pick when your cue gets destroyed right before your pick, and then you're scrambling. You need yeah. those extra thirty seconds. Um, okay, so first question: Francisco Lindor. He went eighth overall. Fifteen team roto with big lineups: two catchers, five outfielders, middle infield, corner infield, nine pitcher spots. Are you more or less likely to draft Francisco Lindor? You know, around eighth overall in a deeper league. I am less likely probably than the average person. That calf injury really scares me. Calves are tricky cats. was one of our favorite sayings on this podcast back in the day. Phrase coined by Jimmy Rollins. It's, it's true, though. If you've ever hurt your calf, um, even just a little, and I mean, this is obviously something severe enough to earn a seven to nine week timetable. It's... It it really hurts. Well, <laughs> like sorry, everything I, you do. I don't want to. Yeah, just to speed up the show. I'm sorry, I got a lot to get to. Uh, do you? Does your opinion of Lindor change based on shallow versus deep format? Is is do you avoid risky players earlier? You know, because it's harder to replace them in a 15 team yeah. league. No, that makes sense. I mean, I might be more aggressive in a shallower league where. You know, you need the uh, you need the bigger impact from every lineup spot, and you have more replacements available. But like part of it's I don't know I don't know how much the impact suffers because if he's dealing with this calf injury, even if he comes back and doesn't miss another game, do they let him run like they did last year? The seals were a big part of what vaulted him from you know late first round to early first round status. Okay, what's uh, my next question here? Betts and Starling Marte were my first two picks. Let's talk about how we approached steals. Starling Marte in the second round is obviously pretty early, but this was 29th overall. So at the end of the second round in a 15-team league, I had the second pick. So I took Betts and I took Marte. Two outfielders. I had absolutely no problem with two outfielders um, in a five-outfielder league being my first two picks. I, you know, I think outfield uh, gets kind of shallow. I mean, look. I won't get into all that. Um, but I had no problem with that. But uh, I just want to know how you approach steals. That was basically how I did it. I wanted to take one more steal source. I'm trying to – I don't know why I can't pull up my team right now, but I will get it. 
Um, what did you do for steals? I know oh, you took D Gordon and Jonathan VR in this league, right? Yep. Yep. I tried to get at Alberto Mondesi as I t- intend to do in every league of this format, but he went in the middle of the third round. I was picking 15th. So, you know, I didn't have a realistic shot at him. I wasn't going to reach for him at the beginning of the second round. And so that meant, uh, that meant I had to scramble D Gordon with the first pick of round six and then Jonathan VR, uh, getting him with the first pick of round 10. Wow. That's good value. That's, yeah, that's almost 150 picks in. That's a hundred. I, I agree. It's good picks. value. I mean, I, I think the downside to VR is there's just, there's a chance he's not worth starting for very long. You know, there's a chance by, June 1st, we won't even think of him as a starting caliber player anymore. But steals being as scarce as they are, I, I think I got two, two of maybe eight, maybe 10 or so that you really feel confident are going to give you 30 steals. And okay. one of them, VR, I mean, if he does keep the job, he's not going to be a total zero for power. Yeah, I guess I would say I didn't really do very well with steals after those first two. Um, I took Kyle Tucker. Who knows what you'll get from him, but I don't. I really don't have a lot of steals after Betts and Marte, so I might not do very well in steals. Um, I, but I won't do horribly having those two guys. You know, maybe put me in the middle of the pack. Uh, I did a couple of interesting things. I took a, a, a pair of of players. Um, probably my favorite pick was in this format. Um, yeah, so let me look where I pick. Let me see where I picked him. Round nineteen in a fifteen team draft, Didi Gregorius. And probably going to miss, let's just say, misses half the season. But maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, but I also took Troy Tulowitzki, who's my starting shortstop, which is a little scary. Uh, no, he's my starting middle infielder. Paul DeYoung is my starting shortstop. But I have Tulo, and then I have uh, I have Didi. So Tulo will probably be useless when Didi gets back. And um, I took a pair of Astros pretty late with back-to-back picks. I took Kyle Tucker in round 14, and Yuli Gurriel in round 15. And that is fairly late in a in a 15-team league. And I sort of felt like, you know, they might be linked. Um, that, may, you know, if Gurriel's... I, I, I sort of felt like Tucker's playing time might depend on Gurriel and how well he's doing. And whether, you know, whether maybe they move Tyler White to first base and they start using uh, Kyle Tucker at DH or outfield or something like that. You know what I mean? So I sort of used two picks on one spot, and I was okay with it because I think Tucker obviously has enormous upside. And Gurriel himself, if he if he plays well enough to play every day and maybe keeps Kyle Tucker out of the lineup, um, he would be a good pick there. He would be a good pick by himself. Or there's yeah. certainly a possibility that they both play. So I wanted to know what you thought about those two Astros, Gurriel and Tucker. Well, I'm especially down with the Kyle Tucker pick. I think that's that's a key to these really deep leagues like the 15 team roto format. You got a full bench to play with. You really need to stock it with upside because uh, any one of those guys if if you just get one big breakout from your late round picks, it can make a huge difference in a format where there's not much of a waiver wire to speak of where you know everybody's lineup is a little less impressive 
than those of us who typically play in 12-team leagues are used to seeing. So Kyle Tucker, I mean, if he, whenever he does come up, if he performs at like a 30-30 pace with a good batting average, which is totally possible, I mean, that's, that's a big advantage you've given your team. Uh, I'm trying to think if I had any picks like that where it was just late, but, you know, total commitment to upside. And I don't think I had one with quite that upside. I had Brandon Lau in round 23, who I think is a sneaky candidate for 25, 30 homers. But that's probably my best one. And, oh, Clint Frazier in round 27, who actually is contending for the starting job, left field job with the Yankees. They're not automatically giving it to Brett Gardner. I still think he's pretty interesting. Uh, I took Ryan McMahon in round 28, even if he doesn't win the second base job. Obviously a possibility. Something opens for him down the line at first base or uh, wherever else. Yeah. So those are, those are good. Like my first year in tout wars, I played tout wars two years now. It's a 15 team Roto league. Uh, My first year I finished second. My second year I finished third. I haven't won yet, but you know, I've been up there. Aaron judge with like my round 29 pick or something ridiculous in 2017 is what totally made my season. I mean, Nobody wanted him, and then he goes on to have this near MVP season. It was it was huge. Yeah, and I took Alex Verdugo also later in this draft, so uh, I took him in round twenty-two. What? How many rounds did we have? Thirty. 30. And so we were drafting bench spots. It was a really really deep league. Um, my favorite pick of my team was Jose Abreu at the end of round four. So that is nearly sixty picks in. And I, when we talked about this on the first, pay, first base preview, that is a position. If you like Joey Votto, if you like Jose Abreu, if you think Anthony Rizzo is going to perform more like a, uh, an early second rounder, these are guys you can target uh, and get good value on, and they might perform like they have in the past. So I was I was thrilled to get Jose Abreu. And um, last thing I want to talk about is closers, Scott. So this is a 15-team Roto League and a 12-team Roto League with with nine pitcher spots to be divvied up between starters and relievers, however you see fit. You know, the conventional wisdom, I think for a lot of people, was try to get six starters, three closers. I am more on the seven starters, two closers thing now with the way the closer position looks like, uh, with, with with the way it looks at the moment. I feel like you can draft two and then be aggressive on waivers and get your third. Um, or you could just have two all year and still be among the leaders in the categories if you in the saves category if you you know draft the right guys. But I mean, at I, least hold your own. At least yeah. finish in the middle. But I actually you know. took three closers or three players that I expect to be closers because one of them was Greg Holland. Uh, but I took Ken Giles. Well, first I took Wade Davis, then I took Ken Giles, then I took Greg Holland. Um, part of it was I didn't want to use a pick on like some crappy starting pitcher just because he was a starting pitcher. So Holland I took in, at the end of round 18 in this 15-team league pretty late. And uh, I, th- I think he's got a very good chance to end up the closer in Arizona. And mm-hmm. I-, I would love to have three closers in this league because they just might give better numbers than the starting pitcher that, that you're streaming. I mean, they won't get better strikeouts or anything. But you might be using the starting pitcher who's just not that good in this deep of a format. So let's try to get three good relievers. Let's maybe maybe have some trade bait for somebody who's really struggling with saves. Um, for whatever reason, I, I put more emphasis on getting a third closer in this league 
than I would in a shallower league. And, of course, my third closer isn't officially a closer, but I, I have high hopes for Greg Holland. Anyway, what would you do about saves? It was it was hard to make a big investment in saves in a league this deep just because everything was running out faster. You know, the it, it throws off it throws when you when you add three teams like this to the mix. I mean, it throws off how quickly um, positions deplete, how many opportunities you have to fill your hitter spots, and it was hard to justify really the pursuit of one category at the at the price. I would have to pay. I mean, Wade Davis, who we normally think of as one of the very last closers who we feel confident is going to have a job, you had to spend an eighth round pick on him. And I was still taking I was taking my second starting pitcher that round, you know, so that was that was hard to justify. I, I didn't take my closer till the first pick, my first closer until the first pick of round 14. I took a Rodas Viscaino, who's not for sure the Braves closer, but I think is the obvious front runner. And if they do go with the platoon role there between him and AJ Minter, the righty, this guy, you know, pr- would presumably get more of the chances. Uh, and then the other two, I took Drew Steckenrider at the end of round 19. I took Willie Peralta really late. Yeah, nobody Who wants knows? him. Who yeah. knows if they're the closer for their teams? I mean, Willie Peralta's not even good, but neither is Brad Boxberger. And uh, it was just, it was just a total saves play. Right. So I, I, um, I'm not confident, obviously, that I'm going to be a force in the saves category or that I'm even going to be competitive. But there will be players who emerge on the waiver wire, even in a 15-team league. That's the thing. Like, if there's one position that um, remains just as abundant on waivers as, as in a shallower format, it's the setup role. It's the next in line among closers. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody like Sir Anthony Dominguez wasn't on anybody's radar at this time a year ago. There will be a, there will be opportunities for safe still on the waiver wire, and it may be the best thing you could possibly find on the waiver wire in a format this deep. What's the position that you think is easiest to wait on in a format this deep? Hmm. Uh, I, I, I was probably I was, third base. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was content with Rafael Devers. Being my starting third baseman, and I, I waited at third base. Um, Can't remember who I got, but I, I think outfield. There's a case to be made for outfield too. It's a little harder when it's a five outfielder league, but there's always there's always something interesting in outfield. I understand it's kind of weak at the top, so we we tend to talk about it like it's a shallow position, but. There, there's always at bats to be found in the outfield. There's always upside to be found in the outfield, even late in a draft like this one, even when you're in that 300 to 400 range of picks. If you want to see more about this draft, you can check the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy. We got good stuff there on different types of draft formats, position previews, tiers, blah, blah, blah. It's good stuff. Check it out. Okay, uh, Scott, players that have something to prove in spring training. This is a story on our website on cbssports.com slash MLB. I am promoting everything today, crushing it. And uh, they gave one player on each team. So I just picked a few that I thought were interesting. I picked like 10. I'm going to give you a name and you tell me real quick. I want to save time for emails. So tell me quickly if you still have fantasy hope for these guys. One of them doesn't quite fit in. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and cross you, Darvish, off the list because we obviously have hope for him. Um, Dansby Swanson for the Braves. Do you have hope for him? 
No, I think his best uh, application in fantasy is like in an NL only league where you just need at bats. You need a guy who's going to give you some totals, but I, I don't see a big breakout coming. He's already 25 and there isn't really anything in the batted ball profile to suggest it. Dansby Swanson. Nope. How about Lucas Giolito for the White Sox? Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I, there's still a faint hope that I, I think he has the tools to be a good bat misser. He just has had pitch selection issues and control issues. and I'm not totally ready to write him off, but I'm not investing a lot in him either. Giolito had a 10-start stretch in July and August with a 382 ERA. 57 strikeouts in 61 and a third, 10% swinging strike rate. Things to build on, uh, but he was then terrible in September. Uh, he is doing neurofeedback, or he did it, neurofeedback. It's an off-season program to improve his breathing and stay relaxed. And Giolito did this to combat his early inning problems. Scott, Giolito pitched 62 innings uh, among the first and second innings. He, 62 of them. He gave him 64 in runs. In the first and second innings, in uh, sixty-two innings, yeah. So he's got to get that figured out. Yeah. All right. How about Jorge Soler, who also had an encouraging stretch last year? Jorge Soler for the Royals. Yeah, it was a really encouraging uh, stretch for Jorge Soler, and obviously he dealt with health issues again last year. But eight twenty OPS, nine home runs, and two hundred twenty-three at bats. Uh, it, it it's mainly can he stay on the field for me? That's the biggest question. I think if he does, he's a good late late round type power source, like a you know like a Grant, Randall Gritchick type. He batted three thirty three with five homers in his first thirty five games, and he had a four twenty five BABIP. So we knew Solaire's production was going to come down. Last twenty six games, he batted one seventy five with four home runs, a five ninety nine OPS. He was terrible. Then he fractured his toe and did not play again after June fifteenth. All right, that's Solaire. Next up, Jimmy Nelson for the Brewers. Missed all of last season after shoulder surgery. How hopeful are you for Jimmy Nelson? I am, I wouldn't say hopeful. He's he's the most likely that we've mentioned so far, other than Darvish, of course. Nelson, I think, is the most likely that I would draft in a, in a standard mixed league. But it's not totally clear he's gonna, going to be ready for the start of the season. And the bigger issue is what he's coming back from. Torn labrum in the shoulder. Not a not a great track record for pitchers coming back from that. It's it's ended careers of some more or less ended the careers of some big name pitchers over the years, and uh, it's often cost a pitcher velocity. Now his was a partial tear rather than a complete tear, so you know maybe it's not going to be as bad as some of those instances. But I I don't it, it's it's far from a foregone conclusion. He's going to be back to being who he was before the injury. So that's Jimmy Nelson. Uh, how about Byron Buxton? He had migraines at the beginning of last year, and then he was playing through, I think, a toe injury. Uh, yes, he had a hairline fracture in his toe. He batted 156 in 28 games. How about Byron Buxton, Scott? I know I'm not going to be the one to draft him. It just has such a small margin for error with as often as he strikes out. And I'm not convinced there's enough. He, he hasn't shown enough power upside, at least at the major league level, to make it worthwhile. But he's still young. He's had tons of health problems. I, I'm not ruling out a big breakout. I'm just not investing in it. For Buxton. Kevin Kiermeyer for Tampa Bay. This is someone that you and I were both interested in as 
maybe like a 20 homer, 25 steal sort of guy. He was so injured and so bad last year. You still have hope for Kevin Kiermaier? I do. I do. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to dismiss it as a lost season because of um, it was a what was it? It was a fractured was it a fractured hip? It was something. Don't it was remember. something pretty severe um, that cost him a good stretch in the middle of the season. You know, you just look at his numbers from 2017-2016. You can, it's pretty obvious he's still um, of value in a, like a standard 5x5 five five league where those power speed types, you know, I think he still profiles as one. That's Kevin Kiermeyer. How about Domingo Santana and then Adam Eaton? I'll lump them together. Who would you rather take a shot on, Domingo Santana or Adam Eaton? Adam Eaton, I would definitely draft ahead of Santana. I I think Eaton's going to be useful when he plays. It's not clear he's going to be an everyday player anymore. Michael Taylor's in the mix there. Uh, but Eaton still gets on base a lot. I think the plan is for him to bat leadoff when he plays. Uh, but Santana, I'm not... I, I think there's upside there, too. I mean, he hits the ball... He hits, he hits the ball hard. It's a question of if he elevates enough to be a power hitter, but he's shown he can hit home runs in the past and also has some speed. Well, there you go. Please read the article, players that have something to prove in spring training, one for each team. I didn't want to bring it up, but the Yankees guy was Greg Bird. So, all right, emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This is from Seattle Sports. Love the podcast. I seem to be stumped, though, about the middle of the draft. Can you go over some players you would target between picks 150 and 250? That's a big range. 150 and 250, who are you targeting? I'm going to say a name, and then I'm going to look up his ADP to see if I'm right. I'm going to look up. Oh, yeah, totally. Holy cow. 237th overall. I'm going to Tyler Skaggs all day, every day. Love it. Yeah, Rick Porcello is a pitcher I'm often drafting from that range. You Darvish. Um, you know, a, a lot of closers go in this range. Yeah. So that's, that's where I tend to be filling, you know, filling in my saves. Not, not the very best closers, of course, but like my second and third closers, I'll get them from that range. A lot of starting pitcher sleepers, Tyler Glass now. Um, Nick Pavetta in there. Sure. Yeah. Pavetta's very trendy pick this year. I like Billy Hamilton. Once you get past pick 150, I think it's hard to pass him up. Billy Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Winker, by the way, we've been worried about his playing time, but David Bell, the new manager of the Reds, uh, first of all, Winker, no limitations heading into spring training, coming off shoulder surgery. He there, There's no reason for the Reds to hold him back, and, and David Bell says he sees him as an everyday player. And really? potentially one who could bat leadoff. Wow. That's great. Okay, Jesse Winker. Um, Andy Green in San Diego <laughs> says, Dear Jake Fox, Chad Fox, Andy Fox, and Star Fox. Oh, yeah. Bunch of foxes. Well, Scott called Andy Green Andy Fox yesterday, and then he said Andy Fox was an infielder. And I don't know how like, I didn't. Of course I know who Andy Fox is. I, I used to actually really like Andy Fox. He played for the Yankees and the Marlins. I like both of those teams. He wasn't <laughs> very good, but I remember him very well. Um, I listened to the second base preview yesterday. I did not hear Adam Frazier's name. I like him some as a sleeper, 
and I'd like to hear your opinions on Adam Frazier, who is likely to lead off for the Pirates and look great late last season. And I will say we have a staff writer, R.J. White, who does like Adam Frazier as a sleeper at second base. Yeah, I'm going to write a deep sleepers column eventually. There's a good chance Adam Frazier will be on it. Uh, now that Josh Harrison is out of the mix there, uh, should have the second base job, Frazier, all to himself. Good on base skills and showed some power last year. Yeah. Not that I think he profiles as a 20 homer guy, but I think you know, he, I think he might platoon. I think he might platoon though. Um, he's so bad. He well, he was last year terrible against lefties in only 67 at bats, but like really terrible. And then they have Jung Ho Gong, so I feel like he could platoon. But in a deep sleeper scenario, I that doesn't mean you have to avoid him. I mean, yeah, you, you're going to no. deal with part-time players in that scenario. Yeah, I'm curious. Let's see how often he sat against lefties last year. Uh, I mean, you can go on to the next one if you want. Okay, I'm just gonna we'll do that. This. Uh, Marty has a dynasty roto question. I think it's it's very interesting. I have a feeling I know where you're going with it. Six by six roto league. Marty would give up a twenty-one dollar D Gordon and get a six dollar Malik Smith. Who would you rather have, twenty-one dollar D Gordon or a six dollar Malik Smith? Well, Malik Smith now has a question of whether he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Which makes this a little harder, but I would still rather save the fifteen dollars uh, for what should be a similar steals total, and I might even give Malik Smith the leg up in batting average. Okay, I, th- I thought you'd go that way. And one thing about Smith not being ready for the start of the regular season, part of that is their regular season starts a week earlier than everybody's. Mm. Uh, By the way, Adam Frazier, he wasn't playing every day down the stretch. They still had Harrison, but it's not like they were. S- you know, he started against three lefties the last week of the season. So he was playing against some lefties. I have so many questions in so little time. Last one here from, let's say, Daniel. I like this question. I have the first pick in a 12-team 6 by 6 categories league. I'm taking Trout number one, but I find myself loving my teams when I take three starting pitchers with my next four picks. So I usually end up with Trout and either Kluber or Verlander, and then a combo of Paxton, Carrasco, and Granke in the f- fourth and fifth. So let's say I don't know that you're getting Verlander. I think Kluber's more realistic. So let's say you have Trout, Kluber, and Carrasco. No, Trout, Kluber, Carrasco, Granke, or Carrasco, Paxton. Do you like that start with one other hitter mixed up in there? You'd have a third-round so- hitter in there. Two days ago, we talked about my favorite team I've drafted so far, and it was it was a categories league, head-to-head categories league, 12 teams just like this. Those, those specs are important. And I also drafted three starting pitchers with my first five picks um, just because that that's just kind of the way it played out. That seemed to be where the value was in that particular draft. I think it's more realistic to... Uh, to be able to pull this off in a categories league just because traditionally hitters have always been valued more in that format. Uh, one of the one of the side effects of the way home runs are distributed now where there's so many 20 homer guys and you know not it's not like there's a ton of 50 homer guys like you know the previous the previous time in the majors when there were a lot of home runs being hit. Uh, that means, you know, past the, 
the hitters you're drafting in the first couple rounds, it's it's kind of hard to di- differentiate uh, what what comes after that. There's a lot of value to be had among hitters in the middle rounds, in the late rounds, even of a 12-team league. Not so much the 15-team league we were looking at earlier, but a 12-team league, yes. So it's 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 not that difficult to build a what feels like a quality lineup, even when you know, even when you're drafting hitters with only two of your first five picks. It I I don't know that it's the wrong way to go. Uh, I want to experiment with it more, um, and to a certain extent, it just depends on what happens to fall to you. But I don't think this is. You may be onto something here. Yeah. It's not bad. I would like it more personally if it were Verlander over Kluber. Or, and I just don't know that I want to draft Kluber. I'm just kind of nervous about him. But uh, that doesn't mean I wouldn't be nervous about, say, like Giancarlo Stanton or an equivalent hitter that would be going around Kluber. So, yeah, I, I, I think we could definitely work. We could definitely work. As Chris said on an earlier podcast, there is no one winning strategy. You know, a lot of ways you can go. Thanks a lot for your questions, for your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready for a shortstop preview. It's coming up tomorrow on Fantasy Baseball Today.